saints, we thank you that you've made us a family by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called and brought into a, an adopted family as Father, you as our Father, who promises to never leave us nor forsake us. You are the ultimate Father. And Lord, you have given us great assurance through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we will spend eternity with you. And so Lord, as we remind ourselves of those truths today in the scriptures, may our hearts be encouraged. May we be strengthened, even in difficult circumstances, to know that there is a great finish to this. There's a great end for every believer. And it's really the beginning of eternity. And so Lord, thank you that we can we can believe and have assurance of a salvation that leads to eternal life, Lord. Remind us of those truths. Lord, thank you for all those that are here. So nice to see some returning back. There's still others still out, still struggling with health issues. And we just pray for them, Lord. Give them strength, Lord. Cause them to get online in the second service and in worship with us in that way, Lord. Father, thanks for this time. Now may you be glorified in all that we say here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Listen carefully to this glorious verse. Now may the God of hope... <laughs> how do you like that kind of description, right? The God of hope. Most of the world doesn't see the God as hope, do they? They see him as some scary being that they can't have a personal relationship. But not Christians. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. I know it's early and you lost an hour's sleep, but are you filled with joy? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Isn't that an incredible term? In believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of assurance is an amazing doctrine. It is not separated from the doctrine of salvation. It is the result of the doctrine of salvation. That you and I have assurance. I jotted down a quote the other day, and I don't know where I got it from. I looked all over trying to find the author of it. But let me read it to you. The author is unknown at this point. Whoever this was said this, God has seen our unloveliness, the deep brokenness, and rebellion in our hearts. And instead of withdrawing, he pursued us to a beautiful end. Isn't that amazing? When you see people who are unlovely broken, and even rebellious, are you drawn to them? I think we would say, I'm inclined not to be. But God is inclined to be drawn to you. In fact, he draws you to himself. Spurgeon said this, if you truly believe in Jesus, it is for life. It's a life commitment. Saving faith is a lifelong act now because of what our Lord has done. Somewhere along the line, we lose the doctrine of salvation when we come to the doctrine of perseverance. Because we never talk about, we never talk about assurance without per perseverance, and we never talk about perseverance without assurance. They will go hand in hand. They're a result of the doctrine of salvation. And I want to say this, there's no perseverance without salvation. What happens too often is somewhere in the mind of a works-based belief is we believe that we're going to be saved because we persevered. 
And it's just totally opposite. We persevere because we are saved. And because we are assured that God has finished the work, has completed everything we need for life and godliness in this age and in the age to come. And we're assured this great salvation. And so there is never perseverance without salvation. And we must highlight the reason we persevere before we deal with the struggles of perseverance, right? Next week, I'm going to talk about the struggles of perseverance because it's a real thing, isn't it? We, we're in a battle, right? We're told to put on armor on, and it's not an easy fight that we fight at times. And we're going to talk about perseverance. But we must understand what God has done, how he has secured us eternally so that we can persevere in this life and even finish well for God's glory. So this morning, I want to highlight our assurance of salvation through the kind intentions of God our Savior And he will motivate, I promise you, he'll motivate your perseverance. He'll be the driving force behind it. And next week, we'll look at the act of perseverance. What does that look like for a believer? What does the Bible say to help us keep running this race? Four thoughts on perseverance and assurance here this morning. Number one, the doctrine of perseverance spotlights assurance in God's glorious plan of salvation. The doctrine of perseverance spotlights assurance in God's glorious plan of salvation. The assurance of salvation is the motivation to run. Assurance of our salvation motivates you and I to run this race. And I want you to think about this. Our salvation, our assurance, is a birthright that every Christian has. You have the birthright. What does that make you think of, right? Jacob, Esau? You have the birthright. All that the Father has, he's given to you as a believer. He calls you into a fellowship, says you're joint heirs with my son. He has given you the birthright. Because salvation came solely through his son. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that God desires that his people that they will have assurance. He wants you to know you're saved. He wants you to understand that, that he laid down an eternal plan for you to save you and bring you into an eternal relationship. Now, as we've studied, you want to remember this. Remember that the elect are not only purchased by God. They're redeemed by Christ. They're renewed and regenerated by the Spirit. But they're also kept by faith from God himself for eternity. He keeps us, he guards us. Now let's start in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. We'll get to the text that Jason read in our next point. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. I love these verses. Uh, These verses got etched on my heart as a young man when I began to understand that God saved me, it was not my work, it was His, and He has preserved me. And these verses have been just etched on my heart. Day after day, I've come back to them to remind myself what God has done. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, now look, look at the language here, has caused us to be born again. Passive verbs... He did something to us. 
You did not gain it by your own choice and works and so forth. God caused you to be born again. Look, that stimulates worship, doesn't it? When you understand the truth of that, they understand the truth that you, in our depravity, there was nothing in me that, that would be worthy of, of him choosing me or electing me to salvation. But when we look at this, that, it, that he caused me to be born again, that drives worship, isn't it? He didn't pass over us, did he? Notice the text goes on to say to, to be called to a living hope. A living hope. And you know why? Because God brought him out of the grave. And if God brought Jesus out of the grave, he'll bring your body out of the grave. He'll take your soul at death and bring it to his presence right away. The Bible says to be absent from the body is present from the Lord. Look at verse 4. Notice this, to obtain, an, uh, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I don't know what you have planned for retirement, but you can't beat this. There's nothing better than this. And you may uh, say, well, I don't have a whole lot put away in this earth. <laughs> when you read verse 4 and realize that God has stored up your inheritance, that no uh, person or no economic system nor anything else can get to it, and that he himself has reserved it for you, that is an amazing assurance, isn't it? Look at verse 5. Oh, look at this. Who, that's you, that's the believer, are protected by the power of God. There's, there's nothing greater, is there? Look. You found no greater power, no military might, no nation, no individual, nothing greater than the very power of God who guards your eternal existence. <laughs> oh, soul, be filled with joy. Your God is watching over you. Notice he says that through faith, this is that God-given faith, by faith he gave you this. A gift from God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And you know everybody who has been given this gift of faith is going to be revealed. And you know how they're going to be revealed? They're going to be with the Father. This is all reserved for you. This is all for your assurance to remind you that you have not just believed in some frivolous religious experience. God gave you faith to believe in His salvation. Of what he has provided. Now, each of God's chosen children have been spiritually united with Christ. Where Christ is, we are. Where he is, we are. And his spirit, the Holy Spirit, came and did a regenerating work and he guarantees the eternal security of each believer and we are free from judgment. We'll get into Romans, 1, uh, Romans 8 here in a minute. And there the Bible reminds us that everyone who is in Christ Jesus will never see judgment. I, I know we make bold proclamations from this pulpit, from the scriptures. And then we go out to Monday school. <laughs> but can we just revel in that for just a moment? Every sin I have Commit it, past, present, and future, was judged upon Jesus. 
and I will never see the judgment of those sins. Tell me where you can find greater security than that. The wages of sin is death. And if your sin is not covered by the finished work of Jesus Christ, you will be judged eternally. But not the believer. Not the one God has called into this eternal relationship. And so since God has predestined his children to eternal glory and we are assured of heaven, then the truths of Romans 8, that no one can separate us from the love of God, no one can cast judgment on us, because God says there's no judgment on us. What what greater hope than that? Listen to the Westminster Confession of Faith on the subject of, of assurance. They wrote this many, many years ago. They, that's the believer, whom God has accepted... In his beloved, that's Jesus, effectually called and sanctified by a spirit, can neither totally or finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere there until the end and be eternally saved. We write something similar in our doctrinal statement. We have uh, quite a paragraph on this, but I just took one sentence out of it. Here's in our doctrinal statement here. No true child of God born of the Holy Spirit will ever be lost because they are kept by the power of God. This is the doctrine of assurance. This is the doctrine of salvation. So when we get to the doctrine of perseverance, it does not stand alone. It comes with this major component of the doctrine of salvation. So we keep running because God has assured us we're going to finish. And we're going to finish in his glory. The doctrine of salvation teaches us that we were predestined, predetermined. We were blessed with the election of God. We know we were given his irresistible grace because of our nature of depravity. That was the only way to him. But truly, the doctrine of salvation highlights the glorious grace of our God and Father who grants us assurance that we will have eternal life. We will have eternal life. All other religions hope for things. They hope they've done enough. They hope they've reached some kind of heaven or a third heaven or some kind of heaven. Um, they hope there is virgins that wait for them if they've done the right things and, and fought the right wars. They, I mean, it's just crazy when you study the religions of the world. Nobody teaches that we have an eternal existence with God Almighty, a Godhead that loves us and has prepared our future, all done by His works alone. The Bible-believing Christians only hold that. And we find such comfort in that. So think about this. If God has in His love chosen people from His perfect divine will and gives unconditional eternal life, and if the Spirit of God has effectively applied redemption to our souls, the only possible outcome of these persons shall be saved for eternity. There is no other possibility. There is no purgatory or loss of salvation or anything else if all of God's perfect plan of salvation has been imparted to us, the result is eternal life. 
That's glorious. And it's glorious because we don't deserve it. Now, God has always given us a people um, down through the ages assurance. God spoke to the true Israel, I believe, in Isaiah chapter 43. Just listen to this. Chapter 43, verse 1, speaking to the nation of Israel. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Further on, as the kingdom becomes more apparent and looking forward uh, in the prophecy, Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. One more, there are so many in the scriptures concerning the true Israel. Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with you that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so they will not turn away from me. This is a sovereign God who collects his family to himself. Well, I want to take you to the words of Jesus just one more time in this series. Go to John chapter 6 with me. My whole goal is to teach on the assurance of salvation this morning. Of course, our text is the word of God, not our feelings, not our thoughts. And so we prove what we believe from the word of God. And here I want to prove it first through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. <laughs> Just Remember, we're thinking about assurance. So as I read these and go through this, have in your mind assurance. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. So what's he talking about? I mean, if I start talking about food, you'll be thinking about lunch. So we know that's not that. This is spiritual food, right? This is spiritual drink. There's, he's speaking of himself, the only one who can ever nourish us, who can find security in this, right? And so he's the one who can satisfy this spiritual hunger and thirst. He says, all who come to me, they'll, they'll have satisfaction in this. But verse 36, but I say to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You see, it's just the opposite. See, there's those who have assurance. They've tasted. They've drunk of the well of Christ. And then there's those who reject him, who don't believe in him, and they have, they have no security. They have, they have no hunger satisfied. They're still craving. They're still looking, and they're uncovering every rock and every philosophy and every theory and everything that they think they can come to try to find some kind of assurance of life after death. But not the believer. We're satisfied in Jesus. Look further with me. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's pretty assuring, isn't it? <laughs> He's not going to lose you. And notice he goes on to say, And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him, him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise them up on the last day. 
For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds sees the glory of the Lord. And if you're saved, you had to see the glory of Christ. There's no way you're, you're saved if you never saw his glory. And that means you saw that he could die. His death was sufficient for you. And he says, everyone who is, beholds the Son believes in him. Notice this, will have eternal life. Do you ever sit back and maybe go through your mind some doubt? Is this really going to end in eternal life? Is there really something true to this? Is Jesus really going to return and gather all of his? Am I going to spend glory in heaven? Let me encourage you, brother or sister, to dispel those doubts. God's very word, which the Bible says he cannot lie, says, I will give them eternal life. So when doubt comes, you're not doubting you, you're actually doubting God. And so he says right here, Jesus himself, and he believes in me, in him who sent him, I will, he will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up in the last day. What a glorious security. Look at chapter 10. We looked a week or two ago at the earlier verses of this great calling of the good shepherd, but drop all the way down to verse 27. You want some security? Look at this. My sheep hear my voice. Right there. Think about the security that's just in that statement. That you heard Christ call you to himself. And here's what you heard. You're a sinner and I'm your only hope. People who don't have eternal security don't have that. They may hear those words, but it doesn't burn their heart. It doesn't grip them. It doesn't cause them to to repent and turn from a life of sin and and put their only hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The simple fact, I love these, these assuring words. My sheep hear my voice. And look, they're not strangers to them. I know them. And they follow me. See, one of the aspects of assurance is sheep know their shepherd. And when some other shepherd calls a hireling, some other religious voice, some other false truth comes, you go, oh, whoa, whoa, that's not right. They don't believe Jesus is God. That's not the shepherd. That's a hireling. That's a false shepherd. I'm not following him. See, isn't that assuring to you? You have your Bible and you go, whoa, 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 that's not Jesus. That's not salvation. That's works. And you'll die in your works. See, we know the shepherd's voice. We know when he speaks. It's right here when we go, that's, that's the shepherd. I'm going to follow him. Oh, I love these verses. They make so much sense to me and warm my heart so much. Notice what he does. Notice I give them eternal life. I don't know how much more security you can get than that. I, Jesus, gives you eternal life. What a gift. What a gift. This is what the shepherd does. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Oh, come on. You think, you know, the world just thinks, hey, you had a good run. You're going to turn back to dirt, and flowers are going to grow on top of your grave, and, you know, hey, it was fun. You know, way to go. Just die and not exist anymore. Of course, there's all kinds of crazy things. You can come back a cow in some religions. And, you know, there's all kinds of... 
But not, not, not the sheep, not, not the shepherd, the sheep of the shepherds. He says, I'll give you eternal life and you'll be with me forever. That's what the Bible tells us, isn't it? No one will snatch you. Well, you can go through the most difficult things and no one can snatch you out of the hands of the chief shepherd. Notice he says, my father, who has given them to me. Don't you just love to be caught in this Godhead, <laughs> love of this Godhead? He's saying, I'm going to give you eternal life, but the Father gave you to me. The Spirit seals you and keeps you forever, guarantees your eternal existence and your inheritance. And we're just caught in this incredible triune love triangle between God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Spirit. And we are so loved and so kept and so secure. And how dare, how dare we doubt this week with our struggles that we all went through. He's so good to us, isn't he? Verse 30, I and the Father are one. That just separated him from all religions of the world. Philip says, hey, will you show us the Father? Are you kidding me, Philip? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. We share the same essence, we share the same glory. What the Father does, what, as I do. Whatever the work the Father's doing, I'm doing that work. Whatever the Father says, that's what I'm saying. Look at chapter 11, verse 40. Oh, this verse. You know the scene, Jesus is raising Lazarus. He already knows what he's going to do. Everybody's frantic. Everybody thinks this is impossible. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. But notice what he says in verse 42, Martha. You want to talk about assurance here? Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? <laughs> and what are they going to see? What's going to happen after this? A man is going to come out of a grave who was dead. I mean, dead, dead. You know, not just kind of dead, but dead, dead. I know you're snickering about that movie comment. He's saying, you want to see the glory of God? He beats death. <laughs> Lazarus, get out here and let's just show him your glory. Let's show him God's glory. That's what assurance. And when you die... One moment after you die, one, one nanosecond after you die, you are with the Lord. You see the glory of him in that, don't you? How glorious is he? Chapter 17. Mm. 11 through 12. Jesus in his high, price, high priestly prayer the night before. You want to be loved on by the triune God? Look at this. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. Jesus' job here on earth is done till he comes back in judgment the next time. And I come to you. Holy Father, look at this. Keep them in your name. Keep them in your glory. Keep them in your person, all who you are. Keep them, Father. The name which you have given me, we share that same message, that they be one even as we are one. Oh, my goodness. We, we have the unity of the Godhead in Christ. You can see the scene, right? Jesus is just moments before the arrest. He's going to go to the trial. All the sheep will scatter as the shepherd gets struck. He's going to suffer alone. And as he prepares for this, as he prepares for all of our sins, all of the elect, all of, 
All of those who will ever know God, all of their sins, our sins will be pressed upon him. As he's going to this moment, as he's going to go through this, he says, Father, hold on to them. Why I go do this for them? How can you lose salvation with such a great love? Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, in your glory, which you have given me. And then he says to his father, and I guarded them. <laughs> and not one of them was lost, but the son of perdition, the one who was predicted and, and predetermined to, to leave me and, and betray me. And why? So that the scripture would be fulfilled. The scripture teaches us that you have eternal life. And one day the son will gather in everyone there and say, Father, I've completed all that you have given me. Here they all are. I lost none of them. <laughs> Can you imagine that day? Millions of believers from most likely Adam to the last soul saved. And the Lord will give us to the Father and say, here they all are, I lost none of them. And sometimes we sit in doubt. Hmm. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 says, For the one who sows in his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. You want to come to God in your own flesh? You're going to die in your flesh. But then he says, the one who sows in the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Who saved you? You? You saved yourself? Walked some aisle, raised some hand, raised, prayed some prayer? Whew. That could be a little scary. Now that might have been what God used for you to acknowledge the truth, but brother and sister, God, the Godhead, saved you. And you can't escape his love. And he's going to bring you in. Second thought, perseverance and assurance are gifts to God's children. Perseverance and assurance are gifts to God's children. The people who have assurance are those who have play, uh, placed their faith in the Son of God, clearly, right? And God grants assurance to a broad range of believers. I'm going to prove this to you. All levels. All levels of maturity, from children to fathers. Look at 1 John chapter 2. This is the text Pastor Jason read to us. Our message is on what today? Assurance, right? Vital part of the doctrine of salvation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children. We ones. Ones early in the faith. And not necessarily is this could be labeled age, but but young in the Lord. Let's see how assured they are. Because you, excuse me, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake, for his glory. Isn't that the faith of a little one? Wasn't that your faith when you were little? You simply believe that Jesus died for your sins. And the Bible tells you you're secure. My children didn't understand the doctrines of grace when they came and professed Jesus Christ as their Savior. They didn't understand the 
rich, vast knowledge that you can gain from the scriptures at that time. They didn't understand eschatology and ecclesiology and soteriology to its length or, or harmartiology, the doctrine of sin. They didn't understand all those. All they knew was, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. See, I love this. Talk about security. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. And this glorifies God, doesn't it, for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, and look at this, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Now he's speaking to the mature, all having the same assurance, the, the, the infant in Christ all the way to the head of the home, the father figure, the one who's supposed to know the most. And this one says, ooh, I know you're from the beginning. I know you're God. I know you're creator. I know you're savior. I know you're eternal. See, the range of knowledge here doesn't matter. I'm writing to you young men, look at this, because you have overcome the evil one. There's no one saved who doesn't overcome the evil one. That means he's been beat on your behalf. He has no hold of you anymore. You have been taken from his tribe. You do not, you do not belong to the one who works in the sons of disobedience. And this strong young man knows that, that God has sovereignly taken him from the other camp and has brought him into his family and adopted him forever. They understand that. Notice the becauses in this, right? Children, because, fathers, because, young men, because. Notice again at the end of 13, I'm writing to you children because you know the Father. Verse 14, I'm written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's security. I mean, there's so much security in that because it says, look what I've done. If you go through every one of those things to the youngest to the oldest there, you cannot have outside of God granting you salvation. You cannot know God. You can't be Satan. You can't be strong in the word of God. You can't have the word of God abide in you. You don't have any of those things. Isn't that amazing? Notice he says, well, let me show you the result of the calling, result of this assurance that you have. You're not in love with the world anymore. We're in it, but we're not in love with it anymore. And, 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 nor, and nor do we not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father loves not in him. It's, just, it's a litmus test, isn't it? Now, it doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the hand of God who gives men or women the ability to make something really cool that helps your life a little easier. There's nothing wrong with those things, but you're not in love with the things of this world. And of course, that would be the world system mainly. And guess what the world system does? It captures your lust and your eyes and your heart. For all, the, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then here's what I'm after, verse 17. The world is passing away and all its lust. Look at this. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So he's assured us, because all of these things have happened to us, to the young, to the elderly, mature, the immature in the faith, and the mature in the faith, because he's done all these things, the world doesn't have control over us, and it causes us to persevere in this world because we have assurance that we're going to live forever. What are you living for now that you'll, when you step in the presence of heaven and go, man, I put a lot of effort into that, and I wish I wouldn't have. Look with me at 
1 John 5.13. I just found myself finding these beautiful phrases throughout scriptures that just captured me and taught me assurance over and over. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name, the glory of the person of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's written them to us. He's given us the word of God. That you would know, you would understand the glory of God, that he was able to do something that you could not do and secure you for eternal life. And see, this is for the elect. It excludes the non-believer, doesn't it? Look at the passage. These things are written to you who believe. All of these beautiful truths written in 1 John here, he says, look, all of those things, they are not for the lost. They're for you because they don't have eternal life, but you do. So heed the word of God. Notice the qualifications of perseverance and assurance is belief. It's saving faith. And notice the verse presumes that Christ is the sole crucified Redeemer and the only Savior of the one with assurance. You've seen His glory. Look at chapter 2, verse 23, because we want to make a clear distinction here. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. If you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son, and you don't have assurance. Deny Jesus as God. Deny that He alone can bring us to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you will find yourself remaining for eternity under the judgment of God. It's for the elect. Jesus is the only name where you could be saved, right? The apostles boldly proclaim this before the killers of Christ. There is no salvation. There is no one else. No other name under heaven you can be saved. I mean, I don't know how you can, how the religions of the world get by, right? They, he just says very clearly, the Bible says, you can't come to me any other way than through Christ alone. And yet every religion of the world, and even ones who adopt Christ in some unbiblical manner will always have a list. And you find yourself still under the wrath of God. Apart from Christ, all other peoples remain under his wrath and judgment. John chapter 3, verse 36, John said this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not believe, do not obey, excuse me, the Son. Because the Son gives clear instructions of how to have eternal life. But if you don't obey him, you will not see life, but the wrath of God abides, remains on you eternally. Third thought. Perseverance and assurance are reoccurring themes of joy throughout the Scripture. Perseverance and assurance are reoccurring themes of joy throughout the Scripture. We just saw there in John's epistle that he said that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know you have eternal life. And the reason Christ came was to give eternal life, right? We know this, right? We know some of these great verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life, right? For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world the first time. <laughs> the second time, the judge is coming, right? But 
that the world, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, all nations that he's going to draw to himself might be saved through him. And he will give them eternal life. He will give them the keys to the kingdom. That's his goal. Now, one of the main reasons God authored this, the Gospels was for perseverance and assurance. John chapter 20, as he's wrapping up this great work of the life of Christ, verse 30, he says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you would believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name, in his glory, in his presence. What a great statement. Every time you pick up the Gospels and you read through the Gospels, God has given that to you so you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, perseverance and assurance are part of the proclamation process. Look at 1 John. You should be still over there. 1 John chapter 1. Perseverance and assurance are part of the proclamation of the Gospel, which includes our eternal life and fellowship with the Godhead. This is how John starts out his epistle. What, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that would be Jesus, and the life was manifest, made real, right in our presence, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the life, excuse me, the eternal life. So he, look, notice if you connect this, he's connecting this with John 1.1, 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and word was God. But here he says from the beginning he's pointing to something. He's called the word of life. He was manifested in front of us. And now he's called the eternal life. Which was with the Father and was manifest to us. So Jesus himself is eternal life and gives us himself. So we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3. What we have seen and heard we proclaim. So we're not shy about telling people that there's eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. We should not be shy of that. I mean, people kind of go, what are you talking about? I mean, they, they think death. I mean, they go to funerals. Have you been to unsafe funerals, haven't you? They're terrible. <laughs> I mean, I've done plenty of them. But, I mean, honestly, it's the most hardest thing to do as a pastor because they're just lost. Now, I get to share the gospel when I'm there because I'm not going to do it if, if I don't get to. But many people... I've seen them draped over caskets, over bodies, wailing and wailing because they have no hope. And I hear this over and over, I'll never see him again. <laughs> Not the believer. If I bury you or you bury me, it's just a little short time. And we'll be together. Because Christ is our life. When we see him who is our life, we will be like him. Notice this. In this womb we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. One of the great fellowship of the, of the church is that we have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we have eternal life. It brings us into this internal bond together. That's why we care about each other, right? We care about each other because we're going to spend eternity with each other. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Notice we're brought into this beautiful Godhead. These things we write, look at this, so that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. Is your joy complete in Christ? Mm. Assurance is so fun to study. I needed this study this week. 
And it's not that I was lacking insurance, but I just thought, I go, Lord, this just puts everything in perspective. I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. I got all these things going on, right? We're all busy. Um, we're living in this crazy world that's lost their brains. Um, you know, wait a minute, Scott. You have eternal life. Put that into your daily struggles. Remind yourself of that. Remember I said J.I. Packard, when he died, we talked about this. J.I. Packard spent an hour a day thinking about eternal life, thinking about heaven. I don't know how he got there, but I'd like to get there. What do you think about that? Now, look at Romans real quick with me. Paul, oh my goodness, he, he just goes off in Romans 8. And we've got to do this quickly because I have just one more point that I want to secure in your minds here. But Romans 8, we find this emphatic statement that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So Romans 8, verse 1, judgment can't separate you because judgment's been taken care of. There is, there is now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that is taken out of the way, right? And then you drop down to verse 15, and it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So now the relationship to God as being this judge is no longer there. <laughs> He's now this Abba Father, this loving relationship that we have, this eternal relationship that started with our relationship through Jesus Christ with him. And so, so there's this drawing to a God who is kind and loving and wants us to, in a sense, spiritually crawl up on his lap and look to him as our loving father. And if that's not enough for you, you start down to chapter, chapter 8, verse 29, and you start to see this statement, for those whom he foreknew, he foreloved you, right? He also predestined, he predetermined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He loved you so much, he's got you so secured that he's shaping you and molding you into the image of his son so that he would be the... So that, uh, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So Christ would, we would reflect Christ. He would be our leader and bring us out, right? And bring us into his presence. And those whom he predestined, who predetermined their futures, he called them out of this world. And those he called out of the world, he declared that you were now righteous at that moment of salvation for all of eternity. And those he justified, he has glorified. So at any moment when you pass away in this life, you are ready to step into glory. There is nothing further that needs to be done to you to spend eternity with God. Do you feel a little assured today? Not in your work, but the work of God? See how glorious this is? And then the capstone. Look at verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now, all these things are true of this life, right? This life's difficult. Will tribulation, anybody go through tribulation? Things are difficult, right? The Bible says you'll have many tribulations in this life. Distress. Anybody known distress? Or let's just call, drop the D and let's call it stress. <laughs> We've all known that, haven't we? Some have taken on persecution for their faith from, from people closest to them, family members. There's probably some who have not had a lot of money and, and have even been hungry. I don't know that we've seen famine or, or completely loss of 
house and home and clothing and nakedness or peril. It just gets worse because most of this we haven't seen now. But verse 37 says, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth or any other created thing because he just gets tired of listing all this will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was talking to a godly woman on the west coast this week, California. And she was frustrated that some of her church members are not returning. They're healthy, but they won't come back. And she said to me, she said, Pastor, isn't it true that all of our days are ordained? Isn't it true that we cannot die premature of what God has for us? And I was teaching her to be patient and let God work on them. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit in these things. But I just listened to this godly older woman say, I can't wait to be with the Lord. She's in her 80s. And she says, I can't wait to be with him. But while I'm here, I want to be with the church. Because it's the next best thing. Listen to this. It's the next best thing to heaven. Because these are the people I'll be in heaven with. And so we prayed and encouraged her to be patient with those who are struggling with that. But what a beautiful thing. And doesn't this, when we talk about this great gift of assurance, doesn't this make you want to persevere? I hope this makes you want to run. Does this make you want to run for Jesus? Does this make you want to know your God and Savior more and more? See, that's the gift you enjoy from the Father. Gift of assurance, salvation. Last thought. We need the doctrine of perseverance and assurance because suffering is inevitable in this life. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to pick this up next week and talk a little more in depth about the persevering aspect of this. But I want to just give you a taste of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. We'll start there. The Corinth church at this moment, as this was written, would probably not be your highlighted church of obedience. (laughs) They had their struggles. um, But yet Paul loved them because God had saved them. He says, I thank my God, verse 4, chapter 1, concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. I mean, these folks are struggling with a lot of things, man. We'll see this one. I can't wait to get in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm very hungry to start teaching it. But look, he says, I I thank God that he gave you grace, which is in you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness, he's saying. Peter says the same thing. Six, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. This is evident in you. You, You've received Jesus Christ. And if you receive Jesus Christ, you received eternal life. Verse seven, so that you are not lacking in any gifts. Look at this awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, knowledge of God causes you to look forward to the Son's coming. When you are not interested in the things of God, you're not interested in the return of Christ. (laughs) The more you study this, the more you study God's Word, the more you long, the more you know the Father, the more you want to see the Godhead, right? You desire to see those things. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end. That's pretty cool. He who began a good work in you, right? Philippians 1.6. 
He'll see it through, right? And he says it's very similar here. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and, and brothers and sisters, many of the people that read this letter were struggling in their faith. Some of them couldn't even sit down and have a meal with each other. They wouldn't even wait for those who are less fortunate. And they had to have just given simple instructions. Just wait. They, they, they're all caught up in mystic stuff. And Paul's rebuking them through the, through the book. And, and, and they're, so, they're so pitiful in some ways. He has to actually teach a whole passage on just love. Which we love that chapter 13, don't we? But you have to understand the context of it. They didn't love each other. And yet in that struggle that they were having, he starts this whole letter out to reassure them that the perfect work of Christ for all who believe awaits them. Awaits them. Look at chapter 10. This is a verse you know. Verse 13. We're going we're gonna to run into this this next week. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation he will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. You know he doesn't do that for everybody. He does that for his elect. He gives you a way out. He always provides an escape. When temptation comes, when trials come, he provides a way for you to go. Because he longs for you to be with him. One well, closing, I was reading a hymn that really provoked my heart in studying this. And I looked up the writer of it because I didn't recognize her name. Her name is Elizabeth Selfane. She was born in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1830. And she only lived 38 years. But she truly embraced Christ and she held him dear, though she suffered greatly. She was considered a very frail woman of what I read on. But she gave everything she had to the poor in order to give them the gospel. She had inherited a couple of horses and she even took those horses, sold them so she could be with the less fortunate and share the gospel with them that they would have security she wrote a lot of poems, and that's where these hymns come from. And she always spoke about great assurance she had in the Lord in these poems. And one particular poem after the death of her brother, she'd entitled The, 99, the Ninety and Nine. And it was based, of course, on the lost sheep parable there. And one of the lines said this, And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. <laughs> I, I like that. Maybe you have someone that you know has wandered from the faith. What a great line. But she was best known for one particular hymn. And the title later was given, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And let me just read this to you and we'll close. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontime heat in the burden of the day. Upon the cross of Jesus, my eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. Oh, I take 
the cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his faith, face. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. <laughs> See, no matter what you go through, and we'll, we'll work hard on this next week, there is such hope in Jesus. Such hope in what he has done. Cling to the cross. You want assurance? You want to persevere to the end? Cling to the finished work of God, right? Through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled when we come to the doctrine of assurance. We've already been through depravity and election and predestination and we've worked through all these phenomenal things you've done and here we come to this assurance. Those who began this journey were, were undeserving of anything. And yet, the doctrine of salvation brings us to assurance that our Lord has kept us, will not lose us, and will present us blameless for eternity. All we can say, Lord, is thank you. And we can live our lives, Lord, by your strength, by your spirit, to bring glory to your name. We ask that you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me for closing benediction? Before I read this, I want to remind you that after I'm done with this, there will be a pastor down front ready to speak with you if you need to speak with one. There's our guest services back here if you're new and you want to just know who we are. But also what we're bringing back that's been gone for a little while is our prayer room. And there's a prayer room off to the left over there. You, you may want to talk to the pastor down front, but you may want to go there and speak with somebody. There will be people there, men and women, to meet with you. So don't pass that opportunity up if the Lord is pushing you there. Listen to this benediction. Heavenly Father, thank you that you continuously shine your light and grace and mercy on our lives this light of grace and mercy has most brightly shone on your son's cross. And you have displayed his finished work to us so we can run this race with humble confidence. The result of the plan of salvation is heaven with you. As undeserved as it may be, you have promised this gift beyond measure to those you have saved. Thank you, Father, for the assurance of eternal life and may our lives be an offering of praise until we see you face to face. Amen.